0: Our lesson this morning is one entitled Restoring the Desire for Faithfulness. I thought about the idea of restoring, the, restoring faithfulness, but I think we have to. When we talk about faithfulness, we have to talk about the desire for faithfulness. Because you cannot restore something that does not want to be restored there are certain things in automobiles that get to a certain point that they don't they're not going to be restored anymore they're going to be put on the back of a trailer hauled off a scrap yard and crushed and sold for scrap because they are beyond repair but we think about today that is not really the case with someone who wants to come back to god but the difference between the one who can be restored we talk about the christian it's not how far gone they have gone, but the desire to come back, the desire for that restoration, that desire for faithfulness. I want us to spend just a few more moments here, if you will, with me for our key text in Hebrews chapter three. as you saw there a moment ago in Hebrews chapter three it says in verse 12, "Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. For those who willfully desire to have nothing to do with the church, nothing to do with God, nothing to do with the Bible, many times it is, without a doubt, a willful act. It is they are things which they have chosen to do. Certain steps have been have been taken, to prevent them purposely from coming back to a right relationship with God. Think about this for a moment. Can a person have a right relationship with God if they do not have a right or a desire to understand God's Word? Can you know God without knowing His Word? Can you know God without being a member, a faithful member, of the body of christ the church well no you can't one builds upon the other you cannot know god without the bible you cannot know god without the church you're going to have that right relationship with god without the church and you cannot get to heaven without god so you build upon one another the bible leads us to salvation which places us in the body of christ which places us in a right relationship with God, which places us in a category of being able to have heaven as our home one day if we remain faithful to God. But we have to have that desire. If you look there again in Hebrews 3 and verse 12. He says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. This is a heart that has the desire to have nothing to do with God, it wants nothing to do with the church and couldn't care any less about what the Bible has to say. As we have said many times before, actions speak louder than words. It's very rare you actually hear someone say these things, so sometimes you have someone who's so bold they'll say it. But actions will bear these things out. He says in verse 13, he says, but exhort, which means to build up, literally the meaning there, encourage one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin you know it's kind of like rust it starts off small but if you leave it alone it's going to grow and those who desire to stay away from god the longer they stay away the harder it is to come back and some of us can probably attest to that firsthand Maybe we ourselves or those we, who we have loved and those we have known who have departed from the church and haven't been back in a long time and how hard it is to even talk to them and get them to listen about anything related to God, Christ, the church, the Bible, any of those types of things. Because while time dulls certain pains, time also has a way to make matters worse. And when it comes to unfaithfulness, it only makes things worse. He says here in verse 13, uh, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hardened is the idea that you have your heart become so callous you stop noticing things. You stop missing the church. Now I can't speak for anyone else. I can only speak for me. But I know when I am sick and I'm not able to be here, it throws things off and now some of you may say well of course you're the preacher it throws things off but when you come to services on a sunday morning on a sunday night and wednesday nights and you're used to coming to gospel meetings and things like such as that whether it be anyone and you start being sick or able to do so which should make us feel off it should make us realize that something is not right something is off kilter if you get in your automobile and it's only got three wheels instead of four because one of them has decided to jump ship as you're driving down the road. Are you going to notice that? Well, yeah, it's going to have a huge problem. When we start missing services of the church, it should feel just like that. Something is off. You look here in verse 14. He says, For we have become partakers of Christ. Now, notice there is a condition. You know, there's a lot of things today that have conditions. In fact, most things do. But it's interesting that when we talk about the Bible, we talk about salvation, a lot of times people like to talk about conditions. But we find, we remind you in verse 14, that there are conditions to be partakers, that is, to be a person who has a part of being a follower of Christ, but having literally that fellowship with Him. there is a condition. But we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast. The end. If you remain faithful to God to the very end. Revelation 2, verse 10 tells us the same thing. John 14, 15 tells us if you love me, keep my commandments, right? All about faithfulness. And here in Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 14, we are reminded about the desire. We are reminded about what sin can do, do to us and how time can harm us in so many ways. And how heaven is dependent upon our obedience to God. We think about restoring the desire for faithfulness. We have to realize that we cannot be faithful if we don't truly desire to do so. Now stick with me here. If someone comes back to the worship service, comes forward at the end of a Bible class or end of a lesson, and asks for prayers and wants to be restored to a good relationship back to God, asking someone to pray on their behalf and repenting of their sins. But then nothing changes. Does anything really change? Nothing changes unless things change, right? Right? we all i say all of us have known individuals over the years probably multiple individuals we start to recognize their habits and sadly they're not good ones we have to realize there must be that desire for faithfulness and it goes beyond attendance but like you've heard me say many times before that is the most basic step of all we can't get that right we're not going to get faithfulness right either let's think about some problems that result. In unfaithfulness again we want to restore uh, restore faithfulness we have to realize some problems that result in unfaithfulness and one of those things two of those things are worry and priorities we all have talked about different times the worry for because of health over the past few years it's amazing how in the last couple months that scene has gone by the wayside and Now there's something else to worry about. There's something else to worry about. But we cannot allow worry to keep us from following after God. We think about Luke chapter 10. We find the occasion of Mary and Martha, and they are in Christ, has joined them there in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. The Bible says, Now it happened as he went that he entered a certain village. You notice that. The focus is put on the events. It doesn't really even matter where they're at. That's the phrase, a certain village means that's not important. And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was, what is the next word? Distracted. Martha was distracted, Bible says, with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Now, we all have probably found ourselves in this scenario, in this situation at various times over the years. Maybe not with your sister, but maybe with someone else. And, we, and someone says, hey, shouldn't they be helping me? Now, you notice in verses 38 through, through verse 40 here, that they are in the house of Martha, right? It says, into Martha's house. Now she is serving, and the first mention we have of Mary is that she is listening, she is sitting at Jesus' feet and heard His word. Verse 39, in any case, at some point, both of them were, right? Uh, She had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard His word. So it's possible at some point Martha was there also, but at some point she got up, or maybe it's time at a previous time which Martha had set at his feet. But we find in verse 40 that she comes to him and she's complaining about her sister, saying, Is it right for me to, to be left here to serve alone, right? Therefore tell her to help me, verse forty. Verse forty one, what does Jesus say? Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. Does he say really that important? What did she ask for help for back in verse 40? For serving. You think Jesus was willing to wait for a meal if he was busy talking about spiritual things? Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. Notice that. One thing is needed. And, friends, is he talking about the meal? He's not talking about food. He says, and Mary has chosen that good part. That good part is a reference to that one thing that is needed, which is a reference to what? His teaching. He's saying the most important thing is the teaching, not the food or whatever it was she was preparing. He was basically telling Martha, stop worrying and sit down. Don't we need more of that today? Stop worrying about everything else that's going on or everything else you think you need to prepare. Just sit down is what he's basically telling her. He doesn't say that word for word, but what does he say there in verse 41? You are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, meaning one thing is not important. He was talking about spiritual things. He says, Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Martha was worried about many things. These were physical tasks, but they too must not become overly important. They must not overshadow what is really important. We shouldn't also think about this. We shouldn't hurt our Christian influence over small things. Do you think Martha looked very good saying, hey, go get married and tell her to come here and help me? Stop your teaching and tell her to come help me serve doesn't sound very good when you put it like that, does it? not that what Martha was saying? Tell Mary to get up, stop listening to you, and come help me. Christ says, no, that's not what's important. Friends, let's understand this today. Potluck meals are great, but they're not that important. I'll wait ten more minutes if it means we can have a time of people being less stressed out, being more polite to another and having things done in a more genuine Christian atmosphere. They're just not that important. An overlooked announcement, a forgotten name, they're not that important. Do we do it intentionally? No. But friends, we must realize that spiritual things are what matter most. And when Christ tells, tells Martha here in verse 41 that Mary has chosen the good part, in verse 42 rather, He's saying to Martha, you need to choose a good part as well, doesn't she? Just sit down and listen. Christ was not worried about the physical. He was worried about the spiritual. He was worried about the teaching. What was the good part? What was the spiritual things? Worry in priorities. What was Martha worried and troubled about? Serving. Christ says that's not important. Friends, let's remember what really is. Another problem that results in unfaithfulness is lying to yourself and lying to God. We might just simply say making excuses. A person can can convince themselves of many things. Sadly, some are convinced that they are faithful while the Bible would say otherwise. A person who does not attend, you can pick anyone in your mind, it doesn't matter, we have to say names. Think about how many times we have heard things that are just not right. Things that show that what you're saying sounds good and that really was the case, but that's not the case. You look at Isaiah chapter 5, verse 21. The Bible says here, "...what are those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight? Those who, what, who are wise, meaning they think they're knowledgeable in their own eyes... And who are prudent or understanding in their own sight. I Meaning they, they are convinced that they are doing what is right and good, but the Bible says otherwise. As we have seen throughout, remember we were doing a series of lessons on the mind of prophets there in the evening for a while, and we find numerous times over and over again how God called the called those who, who were doing what was right righteous or obedient, and those who were not wicked or evil, or disobedient. He didn't make a third group, did He? And so we have to realize that as well today. We cannot be faithful to God when we're not actually faithful to God. A person, again, can convince themselves of many things. But friends, we cannot convince God we are faithful to Him when He never hears us pray to Him. He never sees us together with the saints on the first day of the week. He never sees us doing other things that the Christian as outlined in the Bible should be involved in doing. We can lie to ourselves. You can lie to me. You can lie to others. But you cannot fool God. You cannot make Him believe your words. As you think about some of the things that lead to unfaithfulness, and this is in no, no, no way a complete list, obviously. We could be here for a very long time. But I think another thing that leads to unfaithfulness is apathy. That is the idea that you simply just do not care. You have it one way or the other. Want to go to services? Yeah, okay. You want to stay home today? Yeah, okay. Don't care. And that is a sure road, a sure attitude that leads to destruction. We are reminded about how God feels about this from the words of Christ. Look at Revelation 3 in verse 15 and 16, right? When he talks about those who weren't hot, they weren't cold, they were just kinda of in the middle. And Christ says that's disgusting because he says he will vomit them out of his mouth there in verse 16. They could take it or leave it. They could go on one way or go on the other. You hear people they talk about sometimes they talk about preachers and even members of the church, just in general, they say, Well, they'll hunt with anybody's dog. What they mean by that is they'll go along with anybody. That's not found in the Bible. How many times do we find men being called out and women being called out for their unrighteous acts because they were being involved in things they shouldn't be involved in? Even Peter, an inspired man of God, was called out by Paul because he was being, playing the role of a hypocrite. you remember? you would eat with one group and when another group came you would go and eat with them and shun the other one and even Barnabas got called up, Barnabas got called up in it. The Bible says that Paul was sitting to his face because what he was doing was not right. We must be those who choose one way or the other. And, friends, if we had attitude, well, I can take it or leave it, well, let's be honest. A, a non vote is a vote, isn't it? A non choice is a choice. I can take you or leave it, friends. We can be here this morning with an attitude, and God already knows we may never figure it out. I may never figure it out, but God already has. He knows our heart, He knows our attitude. And if our attitude is, "Well, I can take you or leave it," friends, on day of judgment, He may tell you the same thing: "I can take you or leave you, and day I'm going to leave you," because He does not allow such a person to have heaven as their home. Why does Christ say verse 15 and 16 that He knows their works and neither cold nor hot? I wish you were cold or hot. I mean, basically, I wish you would pick one way or the other. He says, something because you are lukewarm. but well, there are very many things that are actually good lukewarm. You know, one holiday meal, so to speak, we left something in the microwave for a while. I came back later. We left in the middle of the house. we left something in there. It was lukewarm. Well, if you might as well eat it, they're going to heat it up. They're going to eat it that way. There's no such thing as lukewarm ice cream. It's called melting, isn't it? Many Most things are not good, lukewarm. And here their attitude was lukewarm, and Christ says here, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Friends, let's make sure we're not found to be lukewarm. Let's think about the losses that come with unfaithfulness, because unfaithfulness is a choice. It does not happen by accident. We lose hope. Unfaithfulness results in no hope provided from God, True hope comes from God, not from this world. Do you remember the words we found here in Psalm 146 and verse 5? He says, Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Hope is the idea of an expectation. They expect God to do certain things. And he is happy to put that hope, that expectation in God, because God always follows through, doesn't He? You know, when God told Noah to build the ark because there was going to be a flood, did God keep his word? Yes. When God told Lot through his messengers to take his family and get out because I'm going to burn that place to the ground and all the, all the cities and the plains with it, did God keep his word? Yes. When God said he would part the Red Sea for the faithful, for, for Israel to, to walk across coming out of Egypt, and he would drown the armies pursuing them afterwards, did God keep his word? Yes. God keeps his word. And so we find here the person who hopes in God, he puts their expectation in God, he says that person is happy. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help whose hope is in the Lord his God. But for those who are unfaithful to God, those who have walked away, there is no hope. Unless you return by repentance and coming back to God, there is no hope. There is no hope outside of the body of Christ. The only hope we find is in the body of Christ. The only hope we find is being obedient to God's Word. Another loss. due to unfaithfulness, is the loss of heaven. We can talk about salvation, we can talk about forgiveness of sins when we're unfaithful, but ultimately results in the loss of heaven, doesn't it? When we're unfaithful to God, we lose the hope of having heaven as our home. No unfaithful person goes to heaven. Revelation 21, verses 7 and 8. Here the Bible says, He overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. In context, who is the he who overcomes? The faithful Christian is the one who overcomes. And that person, he says, shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, Fornicators says sexually immoral, but fornicators is more correct. Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Well, there is no judgment afterwards. The second death is the final abode, the final place of the wicked. As he describes it here in verse verse 8, which burns with fire and brimstone. Something we want nothing, we want no part of. Despite what some may say or may believe, there is no such thing as an unfaithful person in heaven. Just like there is also no such thing as a faithful person who willfully sits at home on the couch either. That is not a faithful person. The faithful doesn't get to go to heaven. The faithful doesn't stay home because they'd say, I want to stay home today. The faithful person doesn't take a day off, do they? Think about this for a second. What would happen, and I think I've mentioned this before, what would happen if God treated us for an hour like we treat Him so often? What if God said, I'm going to take this next hour off? No answered prayers, no blessings, no forgiveness of sins that are being repented of. Whatever man may do to address God in that hour, God says, I'm not doing any of it for one hour what would happen? People would go into torments. People would die in their sins if God took off just one hour. And sometimes we see people they have no problem taking years off from being faithful to God. Friends, if God treated us the way we did, we'd be without hope. Thankfully, He is much better than that to say the least. Losses from unfaithfulness, loss of blessings, loss of fellowship. This is one I think too many times is overlooked that loss of fellowship. Fellowship means a joint participation, partnership, sharing. Well you cannot have fellowship with those you never see. You cannot have fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ you don't worship with. Now, we know we have fellowship with other brethren, but when, friends, when we are not worshiping God with our brethren here, can you say we have a fellowship with them? No, we can't have fellowship with brethren. You, don't, you are not uh, joining in the fellowship and, and worship with them. Loss of fellowship with God take, takes place. God does not fellowship those who do not fellowship Him. It's like having a friend you hide from. Are they really your friend if you hide from them? Well, no, not really you're hiding from God, is He really your God? He can't be. Loss of fellowship with brethren. Fellowship changes when you're unfaithful. Kindness doesn't. But our interactions do, don't they? Those who have chosen to be unfaithful, we may talk with them and encourage them to come back. But we don't sit around and have a meal with them like nothing's going on. We don't act like nothing has changed because friends the unfaithful need to have a reason to come back. And one of the best things they can come back for is for the fellowship they have lost because of their unfaithfulness. We want to encourage people. We want to be kind to them. But friends, if nothing changes because of their unfaithfulness, where is their desire to come back? Well, they don't treat me any different, so what's the big deal? We need to make it clear that it is a big deal. Let them know that we can't Spend time here like we used to. Our fellowship is not, the, is not the same because you are not the same. A faithful brother in Christ or a faithful sister in Christ who walks away from God, we need to be encouragement to them. Friends, we can't be those who paddle around with them as if nothing has gone wrong. Nothing has changed. Some lessons for us today. Unfaithfulness only brings losses. Unfaithfulness brings spiritual death, it brings false contentment, it brings nothing that the Christian, or it brings nothing that the, it brings, we lose everything when we are unfaithful to God, I'm trying to say. Unfaithfulness only brings losses. Think about this for a second. If you are content with your unfaithfulness, then are you too content without God? This should not bring the Christian contentment. It should not bring anyone contentment or happiness when they, are un, when they are happy with their unfaithfulness. We want to be those who realize that we need to change if we are the ones who are being unfaithful to God. We should not confuse physical or material gains with happiness or with blessings from God. There are plenty of people in the Bible who are blessed by God, but were not materially wealthy. There are plenty of people who are very taken care of and, 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 and provided for by God without being materially wealthy. Unfaithfulness only brings losses. Where faithfulness only brings gains. Faithfulness brings spiritual life. Faithfulness brings love, mercy, grace, care, and blessings from God. Think about this for a moment as we look at Psalm 106 verse 1 and following here we see the blessings of faithfulness in psalm 106 verse 1 through verse 5 he says praise the lord oh give thanks to the lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever who can utter the mighty acts of the lord who can declare all his praise blessed are those who keep justice and he who does righteousness at all times remember me O lord with the favor you have toward your people oh visit me with your salvation that i may see the benefit of Your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of Your nation, that I may glory with Your inheritance. He's speaking of what comes with those who are faithful to God. He mentions mercy that endures forever. He mentions justice from Him. He mentions righteousness. He mentions favor from God. He mentions salvation. And He mentions there in verse 5, The benefit of your chosen ones. There are many benefits of being God's chosen ones. When we say chosen ones, we mean those who are following after God. Those who are loyal to His Word. Faithfulness brings spiritual spiritual life. That should not have been the last slide, but that's okay. Faithfulness brings spiritual life. Faithfulness brings love, mercy, grace, and blessings from God. Faithfulness brings fellowship with those who love the Lord. Faithfulness brings spiritual gains. Turn with me, Will, to Psalm 106 again. Psalm 106, this time we're going to pick up in verse 13. And ask yourself this question. Maybe it pertains to you. Maybe you ask a a friend or a loved one this question. But what will it take for you to be faithful to God? What will it take? I'm reminded of one occasion when we were doing mission work and there was a brother who was there who was not attending as he should and we were asked to go talk to him. And I had another brother go do it because we were doing various studies at that time. And so one of the last days we were there, I went and talked to him. And that's just what I ask Him. What's it going to take for you to be faithful? What's it going to take for you to go back to the church? And sometimes, friends, that's the question we need to ask. Maybe of ourselves, if we're not careful, or we need to ask our loved ones, or those who are not here today. What will it take for you to be faithful to God? If you look at Psalm 106, beginning in verse 13. Psalm 106, beginning in verse 13, the Bible says, "...they soon forget His works... They did not wait for His counsel, but lusted exceedingly in, in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And He gave them their request, but sent, but sent leanness into their soul. What were they asking for? Well, they were testing God. We find in verse 15, though, that He gave them their request, but He also gave them something else, didn't He? The Bible says, "But sent leanness into their soul." This is it true that sometimes, when you choose to be, when you well, all the time, when you choose to be unfaithful, that you get what you ask for? People don't want to come and be a part of the church. We can't force you. We cannot make you do what is right. But when you choose to be unfaithful, you get exactly what you ask for. When you ask to be left alone, what happens? You get left alone. I still am astonished by those who do not come and ask me, well, why didn't someone tell me this? And I ask them quite blankly, where have you been? If you don't know, it's your own fault. You can't complain about things when you're not even here. You can't complain that God doesn't listen to you when you're not even worshiping Him. You can't complain about spiritual things when when God, because you've been gone so long, you might say that God doesn't even know your name anymore. Friends, we cannot complain when we get exactly what you ask for. And you look at Psalm 106 there in verses 13-15. through 15, They ask, they complain, right? They forgot His works. Verse, 15, verse 13. They do not wait for His counsel, which means they don't wait for, his, for, for uh, God to respond. It almost seems like they don't even pray to God anymore. But lusted, in and wilderness, which means they had their own selfish desires they wanted... Verse 14, "...and tested God in the desert." They lusted in the wilderness. They tested God in the desert. None of those places were places they should have been in the first place, right? Not for long periods of time, unless they were just passing through. We know they were, they were. many were sent to the wilderness as a part of the punishment. Some were in the desert longer than they had to be because of their unfaithfulness. Verse 15, "...He gave them the request, but also sent leanness into their soul." We must remember if we want to be faithful to God, we have to have that desire. No one is faithful to God on accident. No one goes to heaven on the heels of their parents or their grandparents. We go to heaven because we have obeyed God and we have continued to do so. Sometimes we think about those who are not here, We can talk about those who are not here. We can talk about those who are not worshiping God as He should be at various congregations throughout the brotherhood. Those have long since departed from the faith. And ask them the question, what are you going to do on the judgment day? Because if we think about the desire for faithfulness, we have to think about also what are we going to do when, when we stand before Christ and He looks at us? What are we going to do? The unfaithful can do literally nothing. There's nothing you can do at that point. And the Bible warns us over and over again that the judgment day is coming, that Christ is coming back at a time which we do not know. Matthew chapter 24 tells us that not even Christ knows or the angels of heaven, but my Father only. You know, if you know something is going to happen, you don't know when, don't you prepare for it? That's why we buy insurance for, for various things, right? It means we say, well, yeah, we have homeowners insurance. Yeah, we have car insurance. We have insurance in the building things like that because things may happen we don't expect or know when, when they might take place. But when it comes to our own spiritual well-being, so many people today refuse to take that insurance that we find in obedience to God and His Word. And on the day of judgment, they will not be prepared for it. For those who may be listening today, maybe listening later, are you prepared? Are you insured? Because I know many of us today have those who are not here who should be. We have the ability to listen and to watch this now or later. Feel free to share it with them—not at cockiness or arrogance—but they need to know that they are playing a very dangerous game. If we want to have heaven as our home, friends, we must make sure we do what is required of us. Because if we're not, if we're not doing that. On the day of judgment, there will be nothing we can do. There will be nothing anyone can do. This morning, as you think about these things, we can help you or encourage you in any way we'd like to do so. Let's get every stand and sing the song that's been selected.